Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week is a conversation about the care of patients with both HIV and cancer with Dr. Brenda Emu. Dr. Emu is an associate professor of internal medicine at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. Brenda, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and what it is you do. Sure. Um, So I am an infectious diseases physician and a researcher. I've been an HIV provider for over 20 years, and my research is also focused in this area. And um, it's it's largely to trying to understand the long-term impact of HIV infection on the immune system and what it means for individuals and their health, even after viral replication has been controlled. So I would consider myself a viral immunologist. I've been um, working in uh, the field of HIV immunology for about 20 years and have a lab uh, in the the Division of Infectious Diseases here uh, trying to understand uh, the question of how long-term viral infection impacts um, non-viral associated uh, conditions, including cancer. Yeah. So... You know, Brenda, it really does bring to mind um, the intersection of HIV and cancer. Now that HIV has really become more of a chronic disease, right, Uh, now that we have reasonably good antiretroviral therapy, people are living with HIV for a good long time. And we do know that HIV is a disease that does Um, affect the immune system. And we've talked on this show quite a bit about how the immune system interplays with cancer. So can you kind of give us a a lay of the land in terms of that intersection? Are there certain cancers that are more prevalent in people with HIV? And conversely, um, does HIV impact um, how people get and respond to other kinds of cancers that may not be classically HIV associated. Yeah, yeah. So those are um, a lot of really um, uh, good questions and, and really important, as you say, as the field of cancer care is sort of evolving to include therapies that target the immune system. So just to take a step back, you know, HIV is a virus that directly infects CD4 T cells. And we've been, you know, hearing a lot about the importance of T cells in um, fighting infections, um, you know, as it's relevant for many infections, including uh, COVID-19. But HIV is unique in that in this virus actually infects those cells um, and kills them when, when it infects them. So T cells, as you know, is, are a critical defense against infections. Uh, and therefore, when, um, when HIV infects, people become immunosuppressed if, and be, they become vulnerable to other infections, as well as some cancers that rely on the immune system um, in order to, um, uh, in order to, um, uh, 
propagate. So in fact, that's how HIV and, and AIDS was initially recognized um, in uh, the early 1980s is that young, uh, previously healthy people were coming in for medical care with rare and unusual infections and rare and unusual cancers. Um, and so a, as you alluded to, there were certain cancers that were specifically associated with HIV infection, um, Kaposi sarcoma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and cervical cancer. And we saw those cancers at increasing rates back in the 80s and 90s and, and for some time afterwards. And it was recognized that it was because patients with HIV and advanced HIV uh, were unable to mount the immune response against those cancers. Um, the as you as you stated correctly over the next twenty five years thirty years we have really good therapy to treat viral replication and if uh, uh, for the most part when patients are taking a a, a a cocktail of antiretroviral therapies we're able to get the HIV viral replication under control with usually an increase in that CD4 T cell count. But what we're starting to see is that even though those uh, initial three cancers, which were deemed AIDS-defining cancers, are decreasing in, in, in incidence, we're seeing increased numbers of other cancers, and particularly those cancers that we are recognizing as relying on um, the immune system to be able to fight them. So, um, so, so that the, the cancer, cancers that patients are presenting with, um, among the HIV population have changed over, over the last decade, um, um, because we're seeing less severe immunosuppression, but patients with HIV do have residual immune dysfunction that may predispose them to some of these cancers. So tell us a little bit more about that. What kinds of cancers um, are we now seeing with increased frequency in the HIV population? Yeah. So I, I so what we're we're starting to see is um, well, th there's a, a couple of of cancers that um, that are um, increased in risk in patients with HIV compared to the general population, and um, those include still include aid those AIDS defining cancers that I mentioned before, non Hodgkin's lymphoma, KS, and cervical cancer. But in addition to that, we're seeing increased rates of lung cancer. Hodgkin's lymphoma, anal cancer, uh, liver cancer, head and neck cancer. So these cancers are patients with HIV infection are at increased risk for these particular cancers uh, compared to the general population. Uh, there, there are other cancers as well that fall into that category. But interestingly, not all cancers are increased um, in, in significant rates in patients with HIV. For example, we don't see an increased rate of most breast cancers or colon cancer or prostate cancer in patients with HIV compared to the general population. And so do we know why uh, there are increased risk with certain cancers as opposed to others? I mean, just thinking about um, some of the mechanisms by which HIV is transmitted and some of the cancers that you mentioned, um, it seems to me that there may be a correlation between HIV and HPV, the human papillomavirus. Is that one of the reasons why uh, we see the increased frequency in some of the cancers that you mentioned? 
I think that's that's correct. And in fact, um, some individuals have actually broken down uh, the cancers um, that patients with HIV are uh, at increased risk for into those that are virally associated and non-virally associated. So HPV is uh, human papillomavirus is a causative uh, agent for cervical cancer, for anal cancer, some skin cancers, and some head and neck cancers. Um, um, similarly, uh, other viruses like hepatitis B and C uh, can cause liver cancer, and the infection uh, EBV can cause lymphomas. So I, I think that uh, co-infection with these other viruses that we know cause cancer uh, do seem to uh, be increased uh, among patients that also have HIV infection. But as an immunologist, it is interesting to me that there are also some cancers that are not associated uh, with viruses that are increased in risk among patients with HIV, and that includes lung cancers, um, some leukemias, uh, renal cell cancer, and head and neck cancer that's not associated with HPV. So I think that... Um, the, the immune system and the immune system response to cancer, uh, uh, to viruses that cause cancer, is certainly puts patients at increased risk. But I think the immune system's response to non-virally associated cancer is also uh, something that deserves um, closer scrutiny because not all of the cancers that are at increased risk are due to viruses. Yeah. And, and certainly we know that the immune system uh, plays a role in fighting some of these cancers. And, and certainly uh, some cancers have developed uh, kind of what I, I, I like to call the invisibility cloak, uh, where we're very much like uh, Harry Potter. They, they can kind of evade the immune system uh, that can't really fight, uh, fight the cancers off. And that's where uh, immunotherapy kind of comes in, kind of uh, taking away that that cloak, if you will. So, when we think about um, that, you know, there are particular cancers um, that uh, have expression of uh, PD one, PDL one. Um, do we know whether those cancers are more likely to occur in HIV? Uh, infected patients? And is there a difference in terms of how these patients, if they do have one of these cancers, how they respond to immunotherapy? Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's a great question. And actually, is is the hypothesis that um, our lab was sort of operating under? Because if you think back to the list of cancers that I uh, stated were increased at risk among patients with HIV, including lung cancer and uh, liver cancer, head and neck cancer. Many of those cancers are the same cancers in which that immunotherapy is effective in, uh, suggesting that in fact it is because patients with HIV infection have an impaired immune response uh, that these are the same cancers that respond to immunotherapy and also the same cancers that patients with HIV uh, see at increased risk because they have impaired immune function. So that raises uh, a really the excellent and, and really critical question is, will immunotherapy work as well in patients with HIV as those without. Um, and you mentioned the, the, the 
PD-1, PD-L1 pathway um, and drugs that target uh, that pathway um, as well as the CTLA-4 pathway are commonly known as immune checkpoint inhibitors. And they're designed to reinvigorate exhausted T cells in order to fight cancer. Having worked in infectious disease, these same pathways, the PD-1, PD-L1 pathway, for example, are also extremely relevant uh, in chronic viral infection. And the PD-1, PD-L1 pathway is upregulated in the setting of HIV as it is in other chronic viral infections. Um, And so, so whether treatment with inhibitors to this pathway will work better or worse in patients with HIV is a bit of an uh, of an unanswered question, but a really, really important one. Um, and I say it's unanswered because um, patients with HIV have not been regularly studied in the clinical trials uh, that looked at immune checkpoint inhibitors uh, because of initial concerns about potential toxicity. Uh, And therefore, we don't have clinical trial data uh, that tell us for sure that patients with HIV do as well as the general population. So these studies are now being conducted uh, retrospectively to see whether patients with HIV are in fact getting getting responsible responses um, at the same level. But this is something that is really understudied uh, and really important, particularly for our patients that have immune dysfunction, uh, to know the answer to. Yeah, so important. Well, we're going to take a short break for a medical minute, but please stay tuned to learn more about HIV and cancer with my guest, Dr. Brenda Emu. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital where the bladder cancer team is at the forefront of bladder cancer treatment and research. Learn more at YaleCancerCenter.org. The American Cancer Society estimates that nearly 150,000 people in the U.S. will be diagnosed with colorectal cancer this year alone. When detected early, colorectal cancer is easily treated and highly curable, and men and women over the age of 45 should have regular colonoscopies to screen for the disease. Patients with colorectal cancer have more hope than ever before thanks to increased access to advanced therapies and specialized care. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital, to test innovative new treatments for colorectal cancer. Tumor gene analysis has helped improve management of colorectal cancer by identifying the patients most likely to benefit from chemotherapy and newer targeted agents, resulting in more patient-specific treatment. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Brenda Emu. We're learning about the care of patients with HIV and cancer. And right before the break, Brenda, you had mentioned that patients with HIV, you know, really weren't enrolled in the early clinical trials looking at immunotherapy. And yet, you know, that intersection between HIV and immunotherapy in the treatment of cancer is so important. And, um, and, and so, uh, something that we really don't understand. And you had mentioned that one of the reasons why patients uh, with HIV were not included in those initial clinical trials uh, 
um, was for fear of toxicity. Um, now that patients with HIV are starting to be enrolled in clinical trials looking at immunotherapy for cancer, can you talk a little bit about whether they do experience more toxicity and whether that uh, initial fear was um, was justified? Um, so, so um, I I I feel like the initial fear, um, you know, came out of the the biology that the PD one pathway that we had mentioned um, is so critical at the level of the tumor for the general population. But in the setting of a global viral infection, that pathway is upregulated on cells throughout the body. So so I think the concern was when you sort of unleash those cells, um, that patients with chronic viral infections like HIV um, and hepatitis C might have worse uh, immune-related side effects compared to the general population. Now that we have more experience with using these medications, um, we know that that is not the case. Um, we There's been uh, two clinical trials specifically focused on patients uh, with HIV and advanced malignancies that have studied immune checkpoint inhibitors. And though they were not powered to test efficacy, they were able to report that there does not appear to be any increased toxicity uh, from immune checkpoint inhibitors in patients uh, with HIV compared to those without. So that is very reassuring and allows us to move forward both with treatment, but also importantly, uh, and hopefully more studies to really understand the efficacy of these drugs in our patients. For patients who uh, have HIV, who may get, uh, very much to your point, immune-related toxicity to immunotherapy, are there special considerations uh, that need to be taken in terms of how you manipulate the therapy in these patients? Because as you say, that pathway is so critical to every cell. So, you know, one, one might think that it's a little bit difficult to kind of say, okay, well, we'll we'll just stop the immunotherapy, or we'll we'll kind of reduce the dose. Are are there other uh, other considerations um, in that population when treating them with immunotherapy that patients and their doctors need to be aware of? The most important thing, um, I think, is that their HIV be well controlled. I think that uh, the pathway, uh, the um, uh, the immune checkpoint um, uh, pathways um, are really sort of very highly upregulated in the setting of ongoing viral replication. So I think that it would be very important for every patient uh, with, with HIV to be on effective um, antiretroviral uh, therapy be at the time of, of receiving immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy. But uh, as I mentioned before, and, and I think this is important for patients and providers and all of the retrospective studies and the clinical trials that have looked at safety, uh, that initial fear that patients with HIV were going to have worse immunologic outcomes, uh, in fact, is, is, it does not appear to be the case. So I think that is that is very reassuring. Every study that has looked at, looked at that um, has has uh, shown that those um, uh, classic um, immune related adverse events are not increased in incidence. Yeah. But to your point, in terms of making sure that your HIV is well controlled, one would think, you know, we talk on this show a lot about this multidisciplinary cancer management. 
And, you know, many medical oncologists may not be as comfortable in managing HIV uh, because they are so focused on managing cancer. In, in patients who have HIV, can you talk a little bit about how critical it is to make sure that your your uh, HIV doctor uh, is part of that multidisciplinary team and the crosstalk that um, that individual would have with oncology in terms of the management of the overall patient? Yeah, Anissa, so I, th- I think this is, is so, so important. And I think that, um, you know, uh, medical care and subspecialty care is is that it's it's very specialized and our patients uh, with HIV have unique comorbidities they have uh, you know generally uh, multiple medications um, that have drug drug interactions and as we've been talking about quite a bit have very um, unique considerations for their immunologic health so I think the key here is that um, the on oncology treatment team um, and the infectious disease uh, provider really be coordinated and have an integrated approach for the care of these patients. Yeah. And certainly, you know, having HIV adds a whole other level of complexity to, um, quote, routine cancer management. You know, one of the things um, when you think about patients who are on antiretroviral therapy and, you know, already we're, we're controlling um, their immune system um, regardless, um, is, is the issue between how patients with HIV, whether or not they are on immunotherapy or not, um, how they do in terms of their cancer management and prognosis relative to the general population. Um, because in the general population, there may be less concern about how your immune system is going to uh, react to not only the cancer, but to therapies. Whereas in HIV patients, that may be a little bit different. Can you talk about prognosis in these individuals? Sure. So, so unfortunately, this is an area where we do see disparities in outcome uh, among um, patients that have uh, HIV and a cancer diagnosis. And this appears to hold true for um, many different cancer types, um, uh, whether or not they're increased in incidence or not. So I stated before that, you know, most colon cancers and most breast cancers are not increased in incidence in patients with HIV compared to the general population. However, the prognosis um, even with with those you know um, with those cancers are worse uh, in patients with HIV compared uh, to the general population, um, and there's uh, you know uh, this is there's probably this probably reflects many different factors. Uh, certainly, there's a concern uh, that patients uh, may. Uh, have inadequate screening and maybe present at a more advanced stage, and that may partly be responsible for these poor outcomes. However, large studies that have controlled for stage, um, as well as insurance status and access to care, have similar have reported similarly poor outcomes in patients with HIV compared to those without. And that really sort of emphasizes that there are unique features of the infection that we need to better understand. Um, and this includes studying cancer biology and particularly, as you say, immune-related effects of 
treatments uh, of the treatment on patients with HIV, um, as well as ensuring that patients get screened and, and really importantly, that they receive appropriate cancer treatment and follow-up surveillance. And um, up until um, the last couple years, there have not been specific guidance or guidelines for patients with HIV um, receiving cancer treatment. And uh, that has changed. There are now NCCN guidelines that are specifically address patients with HIV. So I hope that some of these disparities can be, uh, will be improved uh, as we get more attention uh, and more research um, focused on, on our patients. Yeah. And one of the one of the questions I have is, you know, you had mentioned earlier that it's so important that patients with HIV who are undergoing cancer treatment should really make sure that their HIV is well controlled. Has anybody looked at um, the control of HIV? So, for example, looking at CD4 accounts and seeing whether that makes a difference, both in terms of the risk of developing a cancer, as well as prognosis of, of cancers, whether they're HIV related or not? Yeah, so, so yes. And um, so people have looked at biomarkers of, of cancer incidence in patients um, on and off antiretroviral therapy. Um, so I'll step back and say, for sure, you know, being controlled and having uh, HIV control on antiretroviral treatment significantly decreases overall cancer incidence. Um, so that, that's the first thing. Um, but even with control of HIV infection, there, there do appear to be some um, immunologic factors that, that are associated with increased cancer incidence. And interestingly, it's not the CD4 count itself that, that increases your incidence uh, of malignancy among patients with HIV, but the ratio of CD4 cells to CD8 cells. So there does seem to be immunologic factors uh, that predispose to risk. Um, in terms of are there immunologic factors that predispose or can serve as biomarkers for prognosis, this is an active area of study. This is something that, that we're actually looking at um, in my lab and others. Um, uh, other labs as well to see whether there are differences that can be identified within the tumor microenvironment uh, that may uh, uh, portend a better or worse prognosis with immunotherapy or or chemotherapy uh, because I think we haven't really studied that in depth before. We don't know the answer to that. But as we've been alluding to um, and as we have some data to suggest, the microenvironment of the tumor in the setting of HIV is different. Um, and what that means for prognosis is something that really needs um, uh, uh, a lot more study and I, because it's so, it's so important. So, Brenda, one of the things that you just mentioned I just found so intriguing um, was that you found that the, the phenotype of these uh, CD4 cells and CD8 cells, uh, these immune cells, actually is different and can predict malignancy a year prior to diagnosis. Did I hear that right? Yes. So that's incredibly interesting. My, my two follow-up questions to that are the following. Number one, is it to any particular type of malignancy so that you would know um, what to expect? And number two, 
What do you do with that information? It's kind of like uh, you've been given a ticking time bomb of you will <laughs> you will get cancer in a year. Um, has it been found that this could be useful in terms of increasing screening or perhaps even prophylactic treatments? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, that, you know, I, I think it's not at a stage that I would say it's predictive yet, but the uh, meaning that it's clearly a biomarker um, that, that can be clinically useful. But what it suggests is that there are ongoing systemic changes in the immune response in a subset of individuals uh, that may predispose them to cancers. And that's exactly right. I think the idea is that if you can identify patients at increased risk, that you may alter screening, early diagnosis in order to get patients, um, you know, uh, diagnosed at earlier uh, stages uh, going forward. This is um, early data, and it's it, but it it is different from the general population that we're seeing changes in the peripheral blood uh, that signify sort of immunologic risk uh, potentially to, to malignancies that could be used as biomarkers. Dr. Brenda Emu is an Associate Professor of Internal Medicine at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.